Hi. My name is Linda, Linda Van Voorst, and I am the children's director here at Antioch. And I am really excited for this opportunity this morning to share with you a Bible passage that has been convicting me and challenging me and rocking my world for the past six months. So a little background. About six months ago, I had a kidney removed. The funny thing is, is God made me with four kidneys. Most people have two. So I had a kidney removed, and during this time, I had about five weeks where I couldn't really move, I couldn't really get up, so I spent a lot of time reading my Bible. And during this time, I found a really convicting passage buried in the middle of a really small book called Zechariah. And this passage has been challenging me, and I've been studying it, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, a passage in Zechariah. I hope to do three things this morning. I want to explain who Zechariah is, where he lived, what's going on. I want to look at the message that God gave Zechariah, and then I want to examine the response that the people had who received the message. But before we do, and because this is my first time doing this, let's pray. <laughs> Dear Lord, thank you so much for this church, for everyone that's here. Um, thank you for giving us your word and letting us know you more and know how to serve you and love you more, God. I pray that your spirit will be here, that you'll teach us and convict us um, of things that you desire of us. Um, thank you for this opportunity, and please help the words that come out of, you, of my mouth be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so like I was saying, we're in a book called Zechariah. It's if you want to grab your Bible, I want to help you find Zechariah. So it's a very small book at the very end of the Old Testament. So the last four books of the Old Testament are Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, where we are, and then Malachi. So if you want to find Zechariah, um, and while you're looking for Zechariah, I want to tell you a couple things about the author of this book. So just like the name of the book, the author is also named Zechariah, and we know two things about him. He's both a priest and a prophet. So a priest is simply a mediator who stood between God and man in the Old Testament. So his job was to emphasize the absolute most holy nature of God in a quite graphic way by sacrificing on behalf of the people, um, such as rams and turtle doves, to name a few. So being a priest, Zechariah deeply cared about God and deeply cared about God's work. We also know that Zechariah was a prophet. So a prophet is simply someone who's been given a message from God and told to tell it to people. And that's exactly what Zechariah had been done. He'd been given a message from God and told to tell everybody in the entire land. Now, Zechariah is called a minor prophet but his message is not minor. His message has been rocking my world. And I want to explain this message to you. But first, I need to give you a short little history lesson so you can understand what's happening during this time when Zechariah is writing this book and giving this message. So um, imagine Zechariah. He's a priest and a prophet, like we just learned. He's giving this message, but I want you to rewind 70 years. And you'll find the Israelites living in Jerusalem and they're watching the Babylonians invade and attack Jerusalem. Um, Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. This is a picture that was painted to help us imagine what it might have looked like when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem. So the painter of this painting is um, Roberti de Ercole. <laughs> and um, it was 
painted in the 1800s, but I thought it was an amazing illustration of, to help us understand what it might have looked like when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem. This picture depicts the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman soldiers. You'll see in the bottom, they like have Roman attire and um, weapons and stuff. But this can help us imagine what it was like when the Babylonians invaded a few hundred years earlier. Um, when Jerusalem was destroyed and um, the temple was destroyed, all the surviving people were taken into exile to Babylon. So where is Babylon? Babylon is 53 miles south of present-day Baghdad. So Jerusalem's on the left, Babylon's on the right. And to put this into perspective, um, imagine walking 491 miles. To help you understand how far of a walk that is, so from right here in Bentai to San Francisco is 491 miles, which is a long walk. Can you imagine walking with all of your kids and all of your stuff and all of your animals and being escorted by your enemies, that would be a long walk, let alone a hard walk, especially because the entire city had just been destroyed. Now, we were shocked when the Twin Towers were destroyed, right? Can you imagine how much shock and sadness these people had as they watched their city and the temple be destroyed, as well as having to move all their stuff to a city almost 500 miles away? Sadness, right? So the Babylonian exile, that's what it's referred to as the Babylonian exile, it lasted 70 years. Um, a couple passages in the Bible give us a little insight as to what the people did when they were in Babylon. This is what it says. They wept by the rivers in Babylon. And then Jeremiah tells us that they built houses in Babylon because they were there for a very long time. Because 70 years is a really long time. To put that into perspective, on this day, 70 years ago, we would find ourselves in 1943, and World War II would be raging. 70 years is a long time. These people lived in Babylon for a long time. Um, and some of the important information um, had forgotten to be passed down from the fathers to this younger generation during that 70 years. Um, Zechariah 1.4 begins by saying, Don't be like your fathers to whom did not hear nor pay attention to me declares the Lord. So the fathers mentioned in that verse had been warned and warned and warned, and they had disobeyed and disobeyed and disobeyed the things that God asked of them. The exile was prophesied as the consequence for this behavior and was their consequence for failure to repent of their sin. So they, the Babylonian exile wasn't really a surprise. They had heard about it, but they chose to continue in the behavior that allowed for it. And these people remained in Babylon for 70 years. But the good news is, is freedom did come because King Cyrus, who's king of Persia, he invaded Babylon, took over the throne, let the Jews return to Jerusalem. So the Israelites had just come home, and this is when Zechariah begins delivering this message that is totally rocking my world, okay? So um, the message is being given to the people who had just returned, and the point of this book is simply to comfort the people as they come back to Jerusalem, to encourage this returned remnant of people to repent of their evil ways, and to return to the Lord. So the message in the book of Zechariah is not a new message. It's been given by um, prophets leading up to Zechariah, like in past older books. Also, um, as 70 years had passed, Zechariah is delivering this message now to a new generation. Um, 
this younger generation is falling into the same bad patterns that their fathers and their grandfathers had been falling into. So Zechariah is simply repeating this message to this younger generation to remind them what God wants and desires. So um, we're going to pick up chapter 7. So have you guys found Zechariah? We're going to be in chapter 7. Um, and this book begins by challenging the Israelites to, return, or to remember their history. And then begins with a question. So as I said, the people have just returned to Jerusalem. And these returned exiles are trying to determine how to live now that they are back in Jerusalem. Um, since the temple and the city had been destroyed, it had been a tradition to make the, a day during the fifth and the seventh month a day of fasting. So think of it as like a national holiday where they are mourning the destruction of the temple and the destruction of the city. Um, so all these people send their important leaders to go ask a priest a question that is in Zechariah 7, 5 through 6. Uh, actually, this is verse 4, sorry. Um, their question is simply, should the fast be continued now that the temple and the city are being restored? And God's response is just awesome. And we're going to pick it up in um, verses 5 and 6. This is what God says, okay? When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and the seventh months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just eating and feasting for yourselves? So God begins by explaining that they totally missed the point of a fast. Sure, they did the actions. They didn't eat and they separated themselves from the people. But they forgot to search the scriptures and see what God required of them. You might say they went through the motions but forgot to put some heart or some passion into it. So one commentary, um, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, they um, have some interesting insight. It says, they became masters of ceremony and cared more about the ceremony than moral or obedience or God himself. So these people had been going through the motions and the rituals, but had not been doing it for any other reason. The same commentator suggests God's thoughts, and it's super profound. So listen to this. If the fast had been unto me, God says, you would have separated yourselves not only from the food, but also from your sins. This commentator quotes a super old school version of the Bible. It's called the English version. You can't even find it on Bible Gateway, but um, it makes the point nicely. So it's up on the screen. I just want to read it. Ye inquire anxiously about the fasts, Whereas ye ought to be anxious about hearing the lessons taught by the former prophets and verified in the nation's punishment. Penitence, or sorrow for sin, and obedience are required rather than just fasts. This ritual or, or, yeah, this ritual or ceremony is of no interest to God if it's not followed by the heart. So God's first point in Zechariah 7 is that he wants his people to seek him and know him and not simply go through the motions as if to appease him. God wants his people to obey and respect him. God wants his people to be passionate about him. And this wasn't happening. So God gave this message to Zechariah as a reminder. God wants his people to love him. So take a minute and let yourself think about the things that you're passionate about. And as you do, I'm going to give you just a little information about how Americans spend their time. So the average American spends about seven hours a month on Facebook, which honestly I didn't think was that bad until, 
I thought about the time I spend on the disciplines that I deem important. So this would be helping others, reading and studying my Bible, praying, thinking of ways to encourage others, serving others, and the list can go on. But what if I had seven extra hours to devote to these areas, which would fuel my passion for pleasing the Lord? And then I read that Americans spend an average of 34 hours a week watching TV. And man, was I convicted. Now, I'm not necessarily hating on TV or hating on Facebook. That's not the point. I'm just struggling with how I spend my time in, um, in light of God's response to the Israelites. Because God wants our passion, our time, and our focus. He doesn't just want our Sunday morning ceremony. Now listen, the Israelites, they got themselves in trouble because they were doing things for the wrong reasons. I don't want you to, I don't want to encourage you to do or not to do something simply to appear one way. I don't want, um, I don't want you to watch TV or not to watch TV simply to put on a front. Instead, the challenge is to be purposeful in what you do and do it because you want to please God. So my question is, when you leave Antioch this morning, are you passionate about God? Are you focused on God? Do you take risks for the things that God cares about? Do you think about God? I want you to. That's Zechariah's message, first part of his message to the people. So God continues to explain that he is more interested in passion for him that results in moral obedience and ceremony so important to him. And as the book of Zechariah begins by stating, God wants his people to return to him. He wants them, he wants you to know him. He then continues to express that he wants his people to treat others in a way that pleases him. And to help them out, he reminds them how to do this. So you see, injustice was flooding the area. The people had just come back from Babylon, right? Their city and their temple had been destroyed. And they want to rebuild it all, right? Wouldn't we want to do that? Totally. Um, but they had this goal, and they wanted to rebuild, but they weren't treating people well. They weren't, pe- they weren't paying people a fair day's wage. They weren't giving people good work hours. And you know what? They were worshiping other idols. They were not worshiping the one true God. Um, and they were forgetting about how God wanted them to treat others. But as you know, there's two things that God instructs us to do over and over again, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. He wants us to be passionate about him, and he wants us to treat others well. You might have heard this said, love God, love others. Have you heard that? Yes? You guys falling asleep? So, (laughs) um, he wants us to be passionate about him, and he wants us to treat others well. So, in light of the second... God gives Zechariah four reminders of the kind of moral obedience he wants in regards to how we should do life with others. These four commands are the main points of messages that prophets previous have given, but we're giving them again as a reminder. These were not new messages to the people, but the messages seem to have been neglected as parents taught their younger generation the things about life. The parents had now passed, and the Israelites needed a fresh new lesson. So I love that God reminds them again. I also love that God required the same of these people, of their parents, of their grandparents, 
and also of us today. Because he is the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's see what God requires. So it's going to be up on the screen. Yeah, Zechariah 7, 9 through 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So what are the four things that God requires of God's people? Instead of, forget, or instead of focusing on just getting the job done and rebuilding their city and rebuilding the temple, God wants his people to focus on living justly and treating others well. So let's break it down. So first, render true judgments. This literally breaks down that you must do what is proper, fitting, and right. If you have the opportunity to take a judgment or to make a judgment or a verdict on behalf of someone else, you must make judgments of truth. When talking about another, tell the truth. When in a position to judge another, do what is right and fitting. Or as Zechariah later says in, verse, or in chapter 8, verse 16, these are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another, render, render judgments that are true, and make for peace. Summarized, I would say this simply means that you should be truthful. Sounds easy, right? Until you realize that this means continually and habitually truthful, both with yourself and others. And man, that gets hard, right? Uh, second, God says, show kindness and mercy to one another. Now, how do you do this? Listen to this quote. People must have a tender concern for one another and must not only do one another no wrong, but must be ready to do one another all the good that lies in their power. Listen to the end of that again. People must do all the good to another that lies in their power. Take a minute and let that sink in. Think of all the good you can do that is, in with, that is within your power. This includes your words, your actions, your money, your abilities, just to name a few. Are you doing all that you can do to show kindness and mercy to one another? In other words, I would say this simply means be concerned about others. So the third thing God says is don't oppress others. And then it breaks down a whole bunch of different people types that he doesn't want you to oppress. But first, I want to take a moment and point out that the word oppress, this doesn't just apply to people overseas. We, you and I, we can absolutely oppress people right here in Bend. If you oppress someone, this simply means you use your power or your authority to make someone feel, check out these three adjectives, distressed, anxious, or uncomfortable. Sure, there are varying forms, and this does happen overseas, but it also happens here. God continues his message and names four types of people that usually were oppressed in those days. So first, the widow. Did you know that the word for widow can actually be translated to mean desolate house? Desolate simply means the state of bleak or dismal emptiness. Can you think of anyone that is in a state of bleak or dismal emptiness? God cares about them and wants us to also. This includes the widow and so many more. The second are the fatherless. Now, I absolutely love it when I find facts that reinforce what God is saying. So check out these stats from the 2012 U.S. Department of Health Census, okay? 
63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are also from fatherless homes. God wants these kids, the fatherless kids, to be cared for. He does not want their lives to be made any more difficult than they already are. The next is the sojourner. Also known as a foreigner or a temporary inhabitant, a newcomer lacking in inherited rights, God tells us here that he wants his people to not oppress the foreigner, but instead lend to their aid. And then the poor. Now check out the dictionary definition for poor, okay? The needy, the weak, the afflicted, and often those who others look on with pity and disgust. So God mentions these four types of people and specifically instructs his followers to not oppress them. My question is, who are the people who are oppressed today? The application is still true. God does not want us to oppress or treat others poorly. To put it another way, God might be saying we should go looking for people who don't have money and don't have power and help them using all that we got. This might include our conversations, our actions, and our thoughts. We must not bear hard upon those who are not able to help themselves. In other words, I would say, strive to make life good for others. And the last instruction God gives is, don't devise evil against another in your heart. One commentator explains this to mean that you must not only not do any wrong, but not so much as desire or think of it. So um, there's this man named Matthew Henry. He lived a while ago, a couple hundred years ago. And he says it this way. Let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. Do not project it. Do not wish it. Nay, do not so much as please yourself with the fancy of it. In other words, don't harm others. So that was a lot of information, and I really like reviews. So let's do a quick review of the message that God gave to Zechariah. First, God wants you and I and these people to be passionate about him. God wants you to know him. God wants you to respect and obey him. And God wants you to focus your passion on him. Second, God wants us, you, me, and the Israelites, to treat others right, to be truthful, to be concerned for others, to make life good for others, don't harm others. Now, we've heard this so many times, but check out the response that the Israelites have because this is where the story gets intriguing. So the Israelites had been given this message by God. This was no new message to them. Everything about this message had been said before, and we also have heard it. But remember, Zechariah was given this instruction to tell everybody in the entire land. So imagine Zechariah, he maybe was given this message at the temple and in the marketplace and at the city gates and everywhere else, maybe in the pastures, trying to tell this message to everybody in the entire land. And check out the response of the people. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped up their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. Now, this 
verse tells us that when Zechariah delivered the that when Zechariah delivered his message, people heard it but didn't do anything about it. Okay, so imagine a child doing this, right? Refused to pay attention, turned their shoulder, stopped up their ears. That sounds naughty, doesn't it? And it says that their hearts were diamond hard. Now, I don't know a ton about diamonds, so I looked into it. And what I found is that diamonds aren't the strongest thing around, but they are definitely the hardest thing around. So what Zechariah is saying is that these people had the hardest hearts you can possibly imagine. They absolutely did not care what Zechariah or God had to say. And God was highly displeased with them, and justly because he required nothing of them than what was reasonable and what was beneficial to them. And yet they refused, and in the most rude, naughty manner. And God's response caught my eye. So check this out. Zechariah 7.12 ends by saying, Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. My challenge to you is to not ignore the message that God gave Zechariah. Integrate these behaviors that God desires into your life. Now, who here knows a child? Nice. If you don't know a child, I have 200 of them that I can introduce you to. Uh, I also want to challenge you to teach these values to kids. Because as this passage explains, the fathers had not passed down these teachings to their kids. And that's why Zechariah's message was written. Now, I understand that it might sound intimidating to teach your kids about these things. Not to worry. I want to tell you about all the resources that we have available for you to help you in this endeavor. But first, I want to show you a visual demonstration to help you see how important it is for parents to teach their kids about God and not just rely on Sunday morning. So my friend, Mike... He's handing me my visual right now. Don't you think this looks awesome? <laughs> me too. Okay, so this is 3,000 colored cotton balls, colored puff balls. These 3,000 cotton balls, some are little, some are big, they demonstrate or they illustrate the 3,000 hours that the average American child spends with a parent over the course of a year. 3,000. Now, this includes before school, after school, and weekends. Now, this little bag right here, this is 40 cotton balls. Can you see it up there? It's pretty small. 40 cotton balls. And that 40 cotton balls illustrates the number of hours the average American Christian child spends in church each year. So, you begin with 52 Sundays in a year. Shave off a couple for vacation, a couple for sickness, a couple for sports, and the average American child spends 40 hours a year at church. Now, obviously, I'm a huge advocate for these 40 hours, right? I'm the children's pastor here. I love Sunday mornings. However, what great impact do you think we can have if we equip parents to use some of these 3,000 hours a year to teach their kids to be passionate about God and to treat others well. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> and that's our biggest goal here at Antioch Kids. Sure, we want to provide an awesome Sunday morning experience where your kids want to come, where they want to bring their friends, where they learn about God and they figure out how to apply it to life. 
But we think we can make a bigger difference in this generation if we equip you, the adults, to continue teaching your kids over the course of the week. So our curriculum provides us with some awesome take-home resources that I, that I want to encourage you to use. There's four things. So first, grab your bulletin. I want to see them. <laughs> okay, and then inside the bulletin is an insert, and it breaks down the four things that we're going to talk about. So Kip designed this, and maybe you could like put it on your fridge to help you remember to use these things. Um, and I'm going to tell you about all four of them, okay? So the first is called Small Talk. This is designed, okay, so small talk is on the right. That's what you're kind of looking for. Um, small talk is designed for preschool families. So you have a preschooler, they come to church on Sunday morning, they hear a Bible story. Kids learn by repetition. So small talk are simple, fun ideas to help kids continue to think about what they learned on Sunday while they're in the car, while they're taking a bath, while they're eating their meal, and while they're playing. They're fun, they're simple, but I think they're strategic. Um, second, God time cards. These are on the left. And these are designed for elementary age students. So God time cards are fun, active devotionals, if you want to call it that. Um, they're designed for kids and parents to do together to help kids continue to think and learn about God Monday through Saturday. Um, the next thing is family activities. So next slide. Yeah, so... Um, you might have heard about Mission Kids. It's like a curriculum that we've been developing in-house. We just rebranded it. It's now called Justice Kids. And I want to spotlight two cool resources that are available to all the parents at Antioch on this website and also in the kids' hall. So family activities. These are fun things that kids already like to do but with a suggested conversation to make it purposeful. Think fort building, finger knitting, invisible ink, games, art projects, etc. Um, the newest activity, so these are written in-house, so we figured we might as well write one this week to help you teach your kids what you learned about this morning, right? This one's titled Invisible Ink. It teaches you how to make invisible ink, challenges you to let your kids write um, hidden messages, and then suggests a, purpose, a purposeful conversation to explain what we've learned about this morning, what Zechariah 7 is about, but in kid language. I just want to read it really quick, the purposeful conversation. So throughout the Bible, God gives an important message over and over again. He explains that he wants everyone to know and love him. He continues to say that he wants everyone to treat others well also. Now, a funny thing began to happen when God would give this message. People would put a lot of effort into making it look like they loved God by going to the temple and acting a certain way. But it was all for show. They didn't actually care what God wanted. They simply wanted to impress others. Like the invisible ink in the heat, which is the activity that you do together, um, God can see what people can't see. He knows your thoughts, your desires, and your motivations. Challenge your kids to not simply go through the motions by going to church on Sundays or treating others kindly simply to impress them, but instead to do all they can to know God and treat others well. So little boys love invisible ink. You have little boys? Do this activity this week and help your kids begin to process what we're talking about this morning. Um, another Justice Kids resource for you is called Kid Bios. So Kid Bios are short, true stories of kids around the world 
designed to help your child develop empathy and a care for others. These are all available in multiple spots. So um, if you like paper copies, they can be found in the hall, or in the, on the resource table in the hallway leading into the Antioch Kids area. Um, black tablecloth, lots of bins. That's where you'll find all of these free resources. Or if you're the kind of person who likes to look at stuff on your phone, your iPad, or your computer, all of these are available online for free on the website on this little card. So at the very bottom by this little elephant and penguin, it says web resources, and it gives you a website. It's justicekids.org backslash Antioch. And I would love to encourage you to use all of these resources because we put a lot of time and energy into equipping you with them, and we would love for you to use them. Now, I also wanted to mention that this summer, our kids um, summer program, or VBS, is based on this passage in Zechariah and has been written in-house. And I'd love to invite your kids to come to Summer Swamp on July 15th through 18th and continue to learn um, how important it is to God for us to love him and love others. So this passage in Zechariah has seriously rocked my world. It's nothing new, but the story behind the message that God gave Zechariah is profound. The people's response is shocking. My challenge to you is to be passionate about God and care for his people, and then encourage your kids to do the same. So in closing, I simply want to read the passage in Zechariah one last time. Listen as I read Zechariah 7, 1 through 12, and let the words of our Lord sink in. Zechariah 7. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day in the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sharazar and Ragim Malek, those are their important people, um, and sent their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth and seventh months as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came, came to me, say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and the seventh months for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the lowlands were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped up their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by the Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for giving us your word and for teaching us what you desire of us. I pray that you'll help us to give our passion and our focus and our love to you, that you would be the thing that we love the most. 
I also pray that you'll help us see how to treat others well. I pray that you'll help us to tell the truth, to show mercy and compassion to each other, to make life good for others, and to not harm others, God. I pray that your spirit will continue to convict us and show us what that means as we leave Antioch this morning. Thank you for Antioch and for everyone that is a part of this church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.